Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. One thing about when you're managing multi-location uh, operations, whether you're in restaurants or they're medical, banking, legal, you know, chiropractic, gyms, it doesn't matter, um, is that very often when you're delivering services at the location level, um, that there isn't just one lever you can pull to increase sales, right? Uh, to make customers happier, to uh, increase profitability. Oftentimes, it's not one lever, it's 30,000 little levers that all have to be pulled. Not, none of them are going to sink you, but if enough of those levers aren't pulled correctly, your customers will have a bad experience with your business, your customer satisfaction will be down, and your sales and profits will follow. And that's what we do at Ops Analytica. We help you manage pulling all 30,000 little levers right in the right order. And, uh, and then at the same time, we're providing you with data, amazing visibility into uh, what levers aren't getting pulled, where you have issues, so you can figure out what the heck's going on and fix them. And then you move on. And then every time you correct an issue, you make your employees happier, you make it your, their jobs easier, you make your customers happier, and your sales and profits will follow. Check us out at OpsAnalytica.com. What up, Order Up podcast listeners? It's Tommy Yanolis, your host today. I hope you guys are doing great. I am actually all hopped up on my second cup of coffee, which is important because today my interviewee is Mario Rodriguez from Solidera Coffee. How are you doing today, Mario? Good. How are you, Tommy? Nice to be here. Man, I'm living the dream. Every day gets better and better. Um, so, Mario, <laughs> this is the simplest, easiest podcast you'll ever do um, because it's over. We're just going to hang up now. No, I'm just uh, <laughs> because we just go through the same five questions every time, and uh, and we just have a nice conversation. And, uh, you know, it's kind of cool. So you ready to get started? Let's get going. I'm ready. Cool, man. Question number one, explain what you do today and then take us through your career progression. And I want you to start at your first job until how you got where you are. Well, it's a, it's a funny story, as I always tell everyone. Um, actually, I started uh, with uh, an actual engineering training. Um, I started uh, working with semi-trucks, actually, and and I worked my way through larger corporations, some of them you may know, like Bosch, all the way to one of the biggest ones in the United States, such as Chrysler. Um, but as we all know, we love, everyone has their own hobbies and, and their own passions, and mine was always coffee, drinking coffee. As as Tommy, you just said, you just had your second cup of coffee. You know, by this time, we were at my third um, during our lunch break. And so... During my time as an engineer at Chrysler, I, uh, you know, I, I get to travel a lot to different facilities around the country and even around the world. And one that I, one one business trip that I took um, to Mexico, and was the one that changed everything. Um, I flew to Mexico to uh, the uh, production line for the Ram truck, and while there, you know, I, we were out in the boonies, desert. You know, I'm just painting you a picture, There's dirt roads, great uh, carne asada or steak that they have over there, mm. surprisingly, in Monterrey, Mexico. And I went to a restaurant and ordered a cup of coffee, but this was not any type of coffee. I ordered a coffee called Café de Olla, and this coffee 
is a very traditional coffee found in Mexico that has herbs and spices. And I haven't had it in a long time. So, you know, I ordered it, you know, the, 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 the waiter brought it in and I, I drank it and I had that ratatouille moment. And it kind of brought me yeah. back to my childhood. Um, I was raised by my grandmother. My parents, you know, they were working. And my grandma would take me to a lot of social and um, church events. And, you know, I would carry coffee carafes with, with her. And then we would give it to, you know, wherever we're traveling, you know, uh, to whatever Spanish-style-looking church we would do. So it kind of brought that memory back and that feeling of, like, those fresh mornings in Mexico and, you know, hanging out with my grandma. And, and I was like, I was just like, wow, like it was, it was a memory I haven't had in a long time. So when I came back to the States, I was like, you know what? I want to do something about that. I, I want to bring that to everyone here in the United States, that same taste, but with the convenience on, on the go. So after a while, you know, as an engineer does, you formulate your recipes, you see, what can I do? How can I make it, you know, taste like the, like what I just tasted. And after 70 tries, we, we developed uh, the first beverage called the, um, the Soldadera um, Cafe de Olla. Now we chose the name Soldadera because something that was funny was that when we did digging on this beverage, we, we found out that the beverage was developed by Mexican women during the 1910 Mexican Revolution, where they would put the herbs and spices um, and coffee from Cuba, um, and they will make energy drinks for the soldiers and themselves. It was kind of like the energy and en oh, wow. energy drink of the day. So we were like, whoa, like we did not know this. And it was just like, it's a history that not a lot of people talk about. And so we said, well, these women were fighting for something, which were the rights, because they didn't have rights. I mean, they were either, you know, have kids or just be at home. So, and then it was the first time they wanted to be out there, you know, working in hospitals, even at the, in the battlefield. Um, and, and there was still a stigma back then, but they were just breaking those norms. And we decided that that was going to be our name of our brand. And that was, and that was going to be also our mission of our brand as well to bring awareness to, uh, inequality of women and specifically in minority uh, women. So that's how we developed Solidera. And then it just kind of. From the side hustle, side hobby, it just grew so great. And and, and right now we have four different flavors. Um, you know, each of them have their own little story and cultural uh, story. Uh, that's what we try to focus on. And we're right now at the, you know, what, what I did today is we're working on or launching a rebranding um, and, and shooting out to large uh, grocery store chains such as, you know, Myers, Bartonash, uh, uh, Southwest stores uh, in areas between Pennsylvania and California in the Midwest. So, yeah, that's all there for you. Okay, so, uh, okay, my mind is, like, blown right now for a couple of reasons. But literally, for people who listen to the podcast, my last interview – Literally, I think I did it like on Friday of last week or Thursday of last week. I can't remember what day. Was a guy named JC Bay from South Korea, lives in London. He was an automobile engineer who loved tea. And he has a tea company um, <laughs> that he started a couple of years ago with a buddy of his from the MBA school. So there is something going on in the automobile 
uh, engineering brand <laughs> where you guys are like, I got to get the hell out of here and get into the beverage business. But literally, <laughs> so in order, when these are released, it'll be two podcasts in a row where an automobile engineer left the automobile industry to start a beverage uh, coffee and, you know, coffee and tea, which are like, you know, yin yep. and yang, right? So exactly. Nuts. So that, okay. So that is a really cool story, by the way. I had, I had seen photos. Where did I see photos recently? I've actually been to Mexico twice this year. Um, oh, nice. And I'm saying everyone should go to Mexico because the resorts are not 30% full, so clean. And, you know, you got to get the heck out of here because uh, it is um, <laughs> really wonderful down there on the beach. But great deals uh, too. Looking, mm -hmm. where was I? I was at, oh yeah. And yeah, great coffee. And I'm Puerto Rican, by the way. Like, I'm a quarter Puerto Rican. So I, I like the Cafe Con Leche. Like that mm. to me is the coffee from my childhood or from my like formative years that when I drink it, when it's done perfectly, which I know I think is actually a Cuban recipe where they use the condensed milk. Holy hell. Yes. Like oh, when yeah. I have that and pan de agua, oh, I could eat like a loaf of pan de agua and just drink <laughs> that coffee and, and be happy. Um, and also I smoke a lot of cigars. So if you throw cigars in there, because cigars and coffee are like the perfect pairing. That um, is true. Do you I smoke agree. cigars at all ever? Yes, I do. I, I, I'm a very, I'm a very particular type of guy with cigars. Um, one of my friends started me with like a really good one from Nicaragua. He would, he used to import them, and I'm like, okay, so I never smoked one. And he's like, this is how you do it. And it's just, we would just take long walks and just, you know, smoke them by the uh, Grand River because I'm, or I'm from Grand Rapids, so there's a Grand River there, and just kind of like chill. It's a, it's an experience. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I, that's how I feel about it too. Like I try to get the smoke out of my mouth as quickly as possible, just because mm -hmm. obviously I don't want as I want to minimize as many of the negative side effects of that as right. possible. But I really enjoy it for uh, the ritual, right? Mm -hmm. uh, exactly. Cutting or punching and toasting the end, and then smoking it, um, and occasionally I'll hurt for whatever and, and blow it out my nose, but that's like very rare. And then the other part is. Uh, no one asked me to do jack crap <laughs> when I'm smoking a cigar. There's no going into the house. You know what I mean? So I kind of use it as my way of like sitting on the porch and just relaxing. But Actually, for those of yeah. you who don't know, coffee and cigars is the ultimate pairing because the cigar and the coffee both lose their bitterness together. Ooh. So the Cubans were onto something. That um, is true. <laughs> For sure, I know that it, it rocks, and we have a bunch of clients in Grand Rapids too. We can talk about that offline, but we have a bunch of local restaurants in that area, I think. So, oh. um, so you live in Michigan, so oh, because you're in the automobile industry, duh, that makes complete sense. Um, <laughs> cool. Were you raised in the U.S.? I no, I my my parents moved when I was eight, so. Up to eight, I was I lived in Mexico City with my grandma, and then my parents moved to Michigan, and then so I've been I've been here ever since. So most of what I remember is Grand Rapids, to be honest. You know, in a, in a few memories here and there of Mexico, like the one I just mentioned. Um, so I'm kind of more of a Michigander and more of a the guy who puts up his hand and his palm and, and points on his palm and says, "Oh, I'm yeah. from this part of the of my hand." So it's. It's an interesting uh, concept. Like, well, where are you from? Like, well, I'm I'm from here, and I point at my hand, you know, by the lower corner of my of my palm. But um, they're like, oh, you're from Michigan, but sure. you're Mexican. I'm like, yeah, you know, like, 
Yeah, I mean, like, I was born in Mexico, but also raised in Grand Rapids. So, yeah, yeah it's an interesting uh, mix. You know what's funny to me is that Michigan and um, Minnesota, two of the coldest, most god-awful places to be in the wintertime, <laughs> have more people from hot climates living there. I mean, the entire Arab population <laughs> that's in Detroit and Minneapolis. You know, I mean, here you are coming from Mexico City. You couldn't get close to the equator in Mexico City. And now you're living up there when it's 25 below. I was in Detroit. January of 2009, uh, look at visiting restaurants when I worked at Quiznos. And I mean, it was just like, we, and we had a restaurant right next to this big GM factory that had been shuttered to retool for two years. And I mean, it looked like something out of a Batman movie. It was just this big black behemoth in the background and it was dark and gray and freezing cold. It was miserable. Anyhow, um, well, <laughs> well, no, I, I get you. I mean, I'm one of those guys who's out there running in the cold weather. I mean, you, you can't get us, you know, get stuck at home. We just put a bunch of like clothing on, a bunch of layers, and we just go out there. I mean, I would say it teaches us grit, or we just like to be tortured <laughs> by the cold. I don't know. But, but on the opposite side, Lake Michigan is gorgeous, right? It's a beautiful place to be 90 days a year. And so you just got to take the good times at the back. Exactly. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next question. What is the big project slash initiative that you're working on right now? So yeah, the the big project, like as like I mentioned, is our, our rebranding. After uh, we took about, oh, sorry, after we took about two years of kind of learning or or vibe or or learning or target market, connecting with the consumers in the community, um, and. We were about to launch at 100% and then yes, COVID hit. So for us, it was like, well, a lot of things shut down, a lot of restaurants closed for us. Grocery stores kind of did something interesting where like they just reduced orders. And it gave us some time to kind of look back at our brand and say like, what do we need to make this brand and this coffee more kick-ass? And originally we were importing um, or, gla or glass containers because we will package our coffee in glass containers from China. And we realized, well, we can't really, you know, rely on that uh, because it's just very uncertain. And also it turns out that it's very dirty to produce glass. So we saw what oh. the, um, the beverage uh, industry in beer was doing because I love also beer and during my college days, I wanted to start a beer company <laughs> with a couple of my buddies. So we do like sure. recipes and whatnot. And so we're like, you know what? We're gonna, we, we should can our product. But one of my biggest obstacles was, well, well I want people to open our can, but also want them to close the can. So with a little bit of research and a little bit of the engineering ingenuity, we, we partnered up with another company um, to release the world's first resealable coffee can. Um, and we're on path for next month to relaunch our brand. It's more of a colorful, more of that Mexican vibe with, you know, a unique lid uh, and the same price, surprisingly. That's something that we're working on very hard. Wow. You know. Yeah. And I hope I can send you some, really some samples later on so you guys can have some uh, from our black coffee to our uh, Café de Olla coffee. Oh, that would be awesome. I would totally take it. No one's ever offered me anything on the podcast. What? Jeez, See, bastards. we, we uh, got to <laughs> give you some swag, too. Just... 
I'll wear it. Uh, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, that's so cool. Are you guys going to be able to patent that can or are, is the manufacturer going to be able to patent that can? Unfortunately, no, because that design is already patented. It just hasn't really been used in coffee, which was something I was so surprised. Oh. Uh, kind of a shout out to the company XO Solutions. Um, yeah, they, uh, you know, we spoke to them, very nice guy, you know, and he shows like, yeah, we're in Germany. We're all over in, in Europe. Um, and then Pepsi started using them just recently, but there's just not a really big adoption to it. Oh, cool. And that's something that I'm like, well, you know what? I think we should be the world's co first coffee that's using this product and makes it easier on our consumers. Because a lot of people want, you know, you know, reusability. You know, they want to be able to go on the go and, yeah. you know, fit their lifestyle. And I think, uh, and also sure. feel comfortable that, you know, it's it's recyclable as well. So kind of fits, it, it, it hit all those boxes that we were looking for. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. Okay. N next question. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that is keeping you up at night? Oh, oh, that's a, that's a really good one. I, and honestly, it's the, um, I would say the instability of how the market is doing, um, in terms of restaurant partners, um, and kind of the trends between, a lot of the online sales that you have to be doing um, and also the retail sales, wholesales. Um, right now, as we know, there's a trend moving towards more, you know, and I'm Amazon e-commerce type of feel. And uh, we, we, we're doing the steps to make sure that we cover those, you know, that area as those trends tend to change. But, you know, it, as you know, the Midwest is, you know, one of the it's it's a one of the hard demographics to tackle because we don't like change, <laughs> especially that change that big. You know, yeah. uh, so we we we're a little bit difficult, and sometimes you don't know uh, for like for for our company where are we, should we focus in more? Should we be more e-commerce? You know, or more wholesale? And, and that just kind of like it's changing a little bit, but we haven't. <laughs> We haven't defined it. It's like, yeah, we got to go all this way or another way. So it keeps us out at night. And then, like I mentioned, restaurants, a lot of them are, you know, they're not working in Michigan. If you if you don't know, they're not at full capacity. A lot of them are hurting. A lot of them not even, are not are choosing not to open because their experience for the, for the consumer is just, it won't be there as what these restaurants owners want to have, want to give to their customers. So that that for us causes us to well NASA or product to them or they're just not seeing a lot of people go in there. Um, so yeah, those, those are things down to their order quantities down. Yeah, I mean they're they're definitely hurting. Um, and I mean, and a lot of the people we work with are just mom and pop shops. I mean, people who yeah. you know have their passion for whatever type of restaurant they're opening up, opening up from a jazz bar to you know the Mexican restaurant to like a Tex-Mex mix. But it's they're not big corporations; they're small, little small people. You know, where they put their life savings in there and they want to you know hustle. You know, bring a great product. You know, to the community and also you know. It, live off what they love to do so it, it's yeah. sad to see that it really is and sad that's, to see. yeah 
the independent restaurant is going to be the victim of COVID. Because, yep. I mean, that and like, it, it's so tough because one of my jobs and I work at Quiznos and I mean, Quiznos is obviously uh, one of those stories of we got 5,000 units and then we're down to probably at this point, I would think probably even less than 300, but that's just a guess. They were 350 the last time I talked to somebody over there. And that was a while ago before COVID. Um, but, you know, part of my job was my first job there was dealing with franchisees that were failing and, and they needed help. And so I learned, I mean, so it was like my second MBA basically, because I was always talking to people whose businesses were failing, mm. you know, and I think what happened, well, one of the interesting things I saw in that period of time was just that people, people who started a restaurant, they don't quit, they get fired. Now who fires them, right? Well, they yeah. get fired by their bank, their food distributor or their landlord. And I, I believe, uh, because that the independents, a lot of these independents, they are paycheck to paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they obviously rented space, most of them based off of, uh, you know, being full and being open. And they're not as well capitalized as, you know, corporate chain that could go and borrow $100 million and keep the lights on or, you know, whatever. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's these small independents that would that also make up the interesting food that we get to eat? I mean, if we all just want to eat Subway and Panera, then, you know, fine. But like, mm -hmm. you know, that's where you're going to get the really good carnitas or the really cool Italian food or whatever oh, it is yeah. are these no. small independents. And those guys are the ones that really struggle. Are, they're they're going to take the brunt of this hit. And, they, and they, no one really yeah. realizes how the restaurant industry is made up. Yeah, go on. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. They, they, like I was going to add to you is that they literally add flavor to your community. And, you know, from... Yeah. You know, like I said, Italian food to, you know, Indian food to Mexican food. It's just those little shops. And each of them have their own little specific, you know, uh, great dish that you're like, oh, those, those places have a really good Italian sub. I mean, like for me, one of my sad yep. things that I saw here um, when I come to Detroit is there's an Italian sub place that I always just like. They use like the ham, the smoked ham. They make their bread. I mean, I'm talking like a really good yeah. Italian sandwich. And I in there and they were close, and I was like, man, I miss that. You know, it's and it's also part of the the community. I mean, it's it gives it um its diversity through the food that we eat, and we get to explore different yeah. foods and you know different cultures. I think that's that's a great thing about uh, the United States. It's just we have so many different things we get to try on and see, like, oh, that, that's really good, or oh, this could be this could be better. But yeah, no, definitely. There's there's yeah. a lack of how important small businesses, small restaurants are to to each community. Yeah, for sure. And what people also have to realize too about the industry is that the brands suck up all the oxygen, right? The big chains, but the top two hundred chains, right? If you follow the NRN uh, restaurant, you know numbers, they represent about two hundred and twenty thousand restaurants. Now that's the top 200 chains. And I mean, you, you're getting some small, I mean, you're getting some 20 and 30 unit chains there. Granted, they probably have high rev. That's why they made the list high revenue, but that there's about a million, 100 and 1.15, at least before the pandemic is about 1.15 professional grade kitchens that made up restaurants, ghost kitchens, hospitals, schools, colleges, mm -hmm. you know, churches, et cetera, across the country. So that, 
that 200,000 roughly units that are the top 200 brands that have all the advertising on TV only make up 20% of the total restaurant units in the country. So take, you know, another 200,000 off that for everything else, hospitals and hotels. And you're looking at about 700,000 independents. Yeah. So, wow. you know, when these independents go down, I mean, they're the bulk of the industry, but they just don't have the buying power or, you know, a lot of the other capitalization that they need. So, but then, you know, at the same time that we say that a lot of people are going out and, and I get it. And, you know, uh, I've got some brands that are expanding too. you know, they're opening new restaurants right now. They're picking up great real estate. I mean, the industry is always going to be dynamic and changing. So. No, cool. That is true. That is so okay. true. I think what I seen was uh, <clears throat> uh, it, the communities in Grand Rapids have been, especially the restaurant community, because I've been in a few talks with them and, and heard their talks. And they definitely are hustling. They're innovating. They're changing, you know, the way that they do business. Uh, but, but they do feel the, the hurt. But some of them are like, well, you know what? We discover a new way to, you know, create new source of revenue. So it also tough times, yeah. you know, sometimes create, you know, a, um, makes individuals innovate yeah definitely mm -hmm. yeah well I, I think just to tag on to that I, this also and this I, this is for all businesses and industries is that you cannot like as the marketplace is changing you cannot continue you i always call them dinosaur operators right like these guys mm -hmm. that were like you know the the guy i mean the whole restaurant industry came up you know, and like the, the leadership of these big companies, they all came up, you know, 25 years ago. And yeah. they, they, they were, they were cutting their teeth in the late nineties, early two thousands before this sort of mobile technology realm. And I'm not saying they're all like this, but there are a lot of them out there. And, but this is for all industries is you can't afford to ignore the marketplace and innovation. And, you know, yes, there's a lot of things we have to be addressing and we can't do it all. I totally understand that. Like it's hard, but you know, Sometimes when things are really good, you've got to find the time to look at these technologies and get them because, um, and by the way, I have to, I'm going to say this right now. I had to eat some crow. I was, I, for the last five years, I've been <laughs> complaining about people who were implementing all this delivery and all these other things. And I was like, guys, you got to focus on your day-to-day -day operations before you implement, um, you know, before you implement delivery, because all you're doing is just pissing off more people on a different channel. You know right. I mean? Like get, get your house in order and then start to grow out and stuff. But if you had listened to me, which uh, <laughs> you, know, you should, but probably not in this case, you know, if when COVID hit, you couldn't get delivery implemented for months because there just wasn't the bandwidth to get it going. Right. And that could have been the difference. So I fully admit that I was wrong on that account uh, in hindsight. Uh, and I still think my actual point was right, but hindsight with COVID obviously screwed all that up. But the point being, you know, you got to innovate and you got to be on the cutting edge of these technologies because it's no longer because we live in a technology world. So you just have to be yeah. on the cutting edge. You just have to do it. There is no if, ands, or buts about it because, and a lot of those, a lot of those mom and pop stores didn't have those technology, didn't make those technology investments. And so when COVID did hit and they weren't available to do it, you know what I mean? So it just wasn't, it, you, they just couldn't get, it couldn't move quick enough to like, you know, to save the, to get some new cash flow in. No, and, and, and that is, that is unfortunately, you know, the sad, the sad story of individuals who didn't innovate, like I said, they didn't see like, well, we should, you know, switch it out to, you know, a POS system. Cause I, 
I even I know places still that we're using just cash, like no credit card. Like there's still places yep. like that. And then now that I go back, like they either they did they didn't modify to you know something POS online ordering or they just went out of business. And I think I, when people go into I think uh, even the restaurant industry, I mean that's the one thing you all know. It's 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 a very competitive field. It's you're not doing it because it's gonna be easy for <laughs> sure. And we all know this. Yeah. And if you don't know, then, then you, you, you should have done your homework. It's very competitive. And and it, it takes a certain type of person to go into that, you know? And some people are hungry yeah. and, you know, like, yeah, I, I want a little bit of that stress. I want to be able to innovate and change it and, and show that I can do it. And there's some others that are like, oh, I think I can do something. And then they just fail. So it's, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's a, the recent tour is it's an a- interesting <laughs> animal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, there could be 7,000 hours of uh, podcasting on how crazy it is, the, the industry, how this industry is. And, and uh, but you know what? For the people who primarily listen to this, which are restaurant people, I assume, um, if you're not a restaurant person, you listen to this, then, you know, you should go get a waiter job or something because you want to be in the restaurant industry. Um, but, uh, like, yeah, <laughs> it is. It, it, a restaurant like people choose to be an accountant but like you were born a restaurateur you know what i mean mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's just in your blood like it's your personality because no one would put it because it is hard work and and it's long hours and it's late nights and it's on your feet and it can be demeaning if someone's mean to you or you know what i mean there's a lot of parts of it that kind of suck but then but then there's nothing better than being in a hot restaurant on a hot on a Friday night when it's cranking and you have a great team of people and you're just you're it's you're just in the zone having fun. You know what I mean? And money's flowing and people are having a great time. Like that experience is what we do it for, right? So it's yeah. just seeing the gears like, turn, you know, seeing the gear turns and just like yeah. output where you're where you're supposed to be outputting it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I've been doing software now for like probably 11 years, I think. Yeah, 11 years. That's one of my I last restaurant. And and just having done the podcast, and just most recently, because we really picked up the pace of the podcast, and uh, I'm sort of falling in love again with, um, you know, the restaurants, uh, just the romanticism of it. It, it, it. The podcast is really kind of reigniting what I had felt when I was 14 and what I wanted to do when I was a you know, young young guy going into college and whatnot. So that's been kind yeah. of a nice offshoot of doing this. Um, cool. So let's get a question number four here. We're, we're yeah. coming down the, uh, you're rounding third. Um, <laughs> what is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? One thing uh, <clears throat> for my industry, which is, uh, I guess, the ready to drink industry is, Focusing more on craft uh, beverages. And when I mean craft is that um, what I've seen, which is my field is coffee and tea, um, that there isn't a lot of focus on those seasonal products. And and, and, and I, again, I'm, I'm saying this yeah. in from the perspective of the craft uh, beer um, industry, where each yeah. you know craft brewery has their seasonal uh, you know uh, beers, from their honeys, you know, there's a, um, I, my best example would be from founders. They have, they have this one called uh, honey wheat and they only release it for like two months a year. And 
it's just people are just like craving for you know getting you know just just showing up and getting it get getting you know a taste of it and sometimes you show up and it's just it's all gone and you get away until next year and i noticed that in the coffee industry it's just there's been a lack of innovation um in terms of flavoring in terms of inspiration and i think that's where i uh, i want solo there to be is creating these flavors where they're not only just cultural, refreshing, and healthy, but also unique and also time-limited. And I think that adds excitement to the consumer because they'll be out there waiting for that next coffee, that next flavor, or that new innovation as well. Um, and I haven't seen that in my industry. Um, and if you, and if any of your viewers or listeners have, you know, let me know. You know, I definitely want to see what they're doing, but. That's one thing I think we. That's where we're going. As Soladero is going, but I seen that as lacking in my beverage industry. Because I, I mean, and I understand the my the ready to drink beverage industry. You know, we they, we use cold packers sometimes. You develop the recipe and you you're making you know, you know from thousands to millions of units. But but there's that lack of that unique craftsmanship limited release. And what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna bring that to the consumer but through the through the online subscription model where you can go out to the grocery store and get our, our typical you know our typical beverage your you know or or main flavors but if you're a subscriber with us you get those releases those unique tastes and you you may love it or you may not love it, like it but it's that uniqueness that um that's our our value proposition that we give our consumers, you know, and our loyal uh, fans of Soldadera. Uh, so, yeah, that's. Yeah. So, as you were talking, I was the rack in my brain. I'm trying to think if I've seen, like, uh, you know, any specialty coffees. And what I do see uh, one is Starbucks, because obviously they're huge in the business. But what they choose to do is they keep their coffee the same. Mm -hmm. But what they do is they just come out with new sugared syrups. You know, different uh, flavored yes. syrups mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. they then market for their beverages. So they can have a fall taste pumpkin spice, obviously, is the one that jumps out of that unicorn frappuccino thing that they right. that my kids beg me for every time they see the commercial. But, you know, uh, but they're not actually innovating the coffee product, right? They're just innovating the flavor profile by using sugary syrups, which, you know, uh, you know, but that, that's the only thing I could really think of, right? I do see like we use pod coffee at home, which I know like I, I've I've wanted to switch to like a one of those Jura machines or something where I would actually like grind and brew my whole thing. But damn, these pods, man, they are just so easy. <laughs> they but are I, easy. I do know that yeah. Espresso does send out like some different brews every now and then, but it's never it's not a flavor profile. Like it's never like, hey, you know. There's a, an abundance of pumpkin, you know, and honey in these, like this release or whatever. So, yeah, I think you're right. I can't think of anything, you know, where people are going, hey, this is like my spring varietal. There's mint in it or something, you know, like I just can't think of it. And and even if you go a little more deeper, um, the, in Grand Rapids, it's a lot of small roasters and... I, what I have noticed because sure. um, as a coffee fan is, you know, I tend to try different coffees and, you know, and based on how they're roasting it and whether they're sourcing the product. And 
and you do tend to see a little bit of differences in terms of you know between one company or another where they roasted you know with a different profile and when i mean profile is if for the people who are not uh understand coffee roasting is that there's a thermal or heat profile on how they roast their coffee beans and that's kind of unique to each individual coffee company and the coffee bean and those roasting profiles sometimes release or keep some of those flavors and you know you can have some acidic very acidic coffees and you can have some earthy uh coffees from that just just the taste alone without even adding any sugar or anything so i think there is an innovation and something to tap into on those individual roast you know roasting and those individual companies that i think it's not being exploited right now or being used and i think that's something that probably in the future we're looking for or basic or black coffee because i love a black coffee i mean that's usually that's what i have in the morning just you know my french press i grind my beans and just i drink it black um I, I used to be uh, add a lot of milk to my uh, my coffee, but you know, sure. as as you get older, you know, everything becomes a little more bitter, even the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, cool, man. We're doing the last question, uh, which is, give me a war story. I want to hear that that moment where you like where something screwed up or you know it was brutal and you got through it or it was funny or you know just grace us with one of those moments well i mean i'll give you our most recent example was because we were switching to canning you know in 12 ounce tall cans we were we came to the realizations like well how are we gonna pack this if we're making a small limited release um so from from doing it ourselves to reaching out to the community you know we went to different vendors and we reached out to the beer industry as well to say hey we have this problem you know you know about us uh how can we you know collaborate and, and could you help us out and i think um because we were getting so close to our timeline we were kind of getting a little desperate and finding a manufacturer or just someone with a machine to help us out and do this. So I think after a few months of talking to our community, we were able to find uh, one company, um, to one beer company to help us bottle our cans. Um, even though they were not the same size, they were you know very happy to help us out. And I think that's one of the great things about uh, the, the food industry that there's a lot of uh, members out there that are willing to help, you know, each other out and, you know, um, you know, do try to go their way to even help you connect with others. Um, and that spirit of cooperation is, I think, something that I love about this industry um, and not just the, the, the coffee industry, but also the, you know, the restaurant tours, the brewing, you know, industry. I think it's, we all know it's difficult, you know, we all know we're, we're learning as we go and, you know, we're happy to help out uh, each other. And uh, yeah, that, that for us was a, it was a, a bit of a little sweat on our eyebrow, you know, trying to figure that out. Um, as we launch and we never done this before as well so there's a few things we have to learn from you know we you gotta dose it with a little bit of nitrogen you know just just the little things the little details that they don't tell you you know people are like ah, i'm just gonna pour the coffee in there and that's it but you know there's a little more steps to it yeah. so i 
It, it, we always say it's easy, but there's always a when you go into the details, like okay, well, it's not easy. Like we gotta stop saying it's easy because it never turns out to be easy. It's more yeah. challenging, I would say. Well, and like and it's whether it's software or manufacturing or anything, the first ninety-five percent is easy. It's the last five percent. It's those little details. That can take as long as the first 95% to crack and figure out or get coded in or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's just pouring coffee in a can until you have those three little details. Well, by the way, you can't use this kind of nitrogen because it does this. And then all of a sudden, you got to seal it really quickly. And only three machines in the country that do that. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think in this world today, I, I'm constantly amazed by the world today. And this might just be me and I might be the only one who thinks this way, which, you know, whatever, if that's the case, then whatever. But like, <laughs> you know, because everything is so convenient and the supply chain is so well honed that you don't realize that, that this stuff's just, and, and Amazon, I think Amazon added a billion to this. You don't realize that everything's not just one click away. Mm -hmm. That there are, you know, that there's actual process and things yep. have to move from point A to point B to point C. And and yeah, it is as simple as you gotta screw that cap on really, really fast, or you lose all the nitrogen and it doesn't work. Like there are these real problems that are being solved constantly by really innovative people with that, and there's actual machines and there's actual mm -hmm. this is how much stuff can come out of it. Like you just live in this world where you go and you click on stuff and it, it arrives, whether it's food, you know, or whether it's uh, coffee or whether it's computers or, you know, it's stuff, whatever. It just shows up at your house. And then you, I think we just forget that it actually is a bunch of people figuring stuff out and that there are limitations and, you know, whatever. It's just, yeah. I think COVID has probably done more to kind of demystify that world for me, at least, mm -hmm. you know, because you hear about, oh, like, you know, hey, there are, we have 5,000 of those. They're sitting on the Long Beach Harbor and they're 50 boats away from being unloaded. And so you're not getting them for another month. So sorry. You know what I mean? Like there's just yeah. real stuff happening and it's just, it, it, it's crazy. No, it, it, it literally lifts the magic curtain to see all the gears and all the systems, all, you know, from, you know, the supply yeah. chain to the tinkering with the manufacturing to the software as well. I mean, from my, because my background's engineering, I think I, I personally love to see all those systems at work and creating those systems. Yeah. And, and I think our world is moving more towards those systems and everything in, in order to make that one click away, all those systems need to be efficiently put together and always, obviously, you with any gear, you want to, you know, grease it up, you know, make it even better. Um, and I think that's where a lot of innovation comes in. I mean, there's a million ways to seal a can or or bottle something, you know, but can you make it better? You know, can you make it more efficient? Can you make it less painful? Um, and even when in the restaurant industry, I mean, and I think with, with you, Tommy, probably in the software industry as well, is you're out there to make the, you know, their a lot of people's lives easier you know more efficient for them and i think that's 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 what we do that's absolutely yeah <laughs> well that's the value prop that why you buy something versus making it right and, and, you know, and that is that somebody that, else yeah invested in making that easier for you
And that's the beauty of capitalism. We innovate through, you know, making things better. I mean, that's that's the whole point. I mean, that's why we, we make awesome things. And, and they keep getting better and better. You know, that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. I know. It is amazing. Well, if you just think about, too, like, I look at it as, as an example, car design. When the Hyundai and, you know, Kia came to the U.S. market, like, 25, like in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, they were these really cheap garbage Korean cars that, you know, you just got because you didn't have the money to get anything even slightly better. Right. My buddy had a joke. Kia stands were killed in accident, like back in the day. Right. But then as technology grew, Mm -hmm. right. And especially the CAD programs, really what you saw is this evolution with that Hyundai, that uh, the Hyundai, that's like the luxury car. I can't think of the name of it right now. And then now, I mean, you see those two, I see more of those Hyundai and mm-hmm. Kia SUVs. They look just like the Audis and the Mercedes. And I mean, just in 30 years, and what it was, was the evolution of the technology, the CAD programs that allowed those guys to draft the big German luxury brands and, and you know, English luxury brands mm-hmm. and build something that was one generation behind. They could basically look at where Range Rover, Mercedes, Audi, BMW, we're all going Cadillac, whatever, and go, okay, well, what version of this can we make? And the technology made the innovation go. And so now there's really no difference between any of these cars. I mean, no? there, I mean, you can feel it like in the engines and suspensions and stuff, but I mean, I mean, how all the buttons are being made in the same factory, you know, the damn liftgate button on the Audi is the same as it is on the Dodge, as it is on the Kia. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, it's just amazing to see how that innovation like changed the marketplace. And the technology went crazy. Um, and, you know, not to say that there isn't a difference between an Audi and a Kia, but they look the same. They look beautiful, I guess would be my point. They all look gorgeous. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny that you bring a Kia because um, when I started uh, a Chrysler, we they were using case studies showing how was it that Kia was able to bring up the reliability from the worst to one of the best and how they would adapt to that. You know, and, and that just goes to show, like, like you're talking one of the big companies are looking at their reliability and how they're doing it as a case study because they were able to innovate. And, you know, it's and, and level the playing field or, you know, be at the playing field, you know. So, yeah, no, again, it's, it, it's amazing how much um, technology has changed, you know, in such a relatively small amount of time. And who knows what's going to happen in the future? I mean... I, I can't imagine what's going to yeah. go on. And, and if I could, then I'd probably be a millionaire, you know, maybe next 10 years. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, yeah. It's, a, it, it's an exciting time to be alive, I would say. I would say it's, it's – it's, we're, we're at a good time. I think a lot of great things can come out of uh, our time right now. Absolutely. Well, and, I mean, you, you don't even think about this is, you know, I mean – the tablets, I think, I think the iPads were released in 2010, mm-hmm. right? So 10 years. They feel like they've been here for 50,000 years, but they feel like you, <laughs> you feel like you were born with a tablet in your hand, like our kids have <laughs> that are constantly stealing and running around with. But you know what I mean? Like, you feel like they've been here forever. They've literally been here for 10 years. And like my software, the kind of software we have, operations management software, was really enabled by the tablet. Like prior to the tablet, it was a very brutal 
it was just very hard to kind of do what we do. But the tablet changed that marketplace overnight. And I mean, we're 10 years in and companies still are still learning about this because 10 years is nothing in the scope of a very large company that's been doing something the same way for 100 years. But it's mm -hmm. just like, yeah, they feel ubiquitous, but they're literally, you know, they're literally only been here for like 10, 15 years. And I mean, let's be honest, the phones have, are the greatest and the worst thing to happen to society anyways. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, but I mean, it's just that technology. I mean, that was 2007 for the iPhone, maybe 2008. Yeah. I can't remember the exact year, but yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it's crazy to think. It is crazy. I mean, even my kid, I show her a cassette and she's like, what is that? I was like, <laughs> well, it's like, well, you listen to music with it. It's a tape. He's like, well, how? And, and then, you know, it's for them, it's like, what? That's been yeah. used for that? I mean, oh, that's crazy. You, don't, you, you just didn't speak into the air and Alexa played music for you when you were a kid? What? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It's like there was no Wi-Fi. I mean, there was no internet outside, you know, your house? What? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my gosh. I know, I know. Well, Mario, uh, thank you for being on today, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, do you want to plug your website or anything real quick? Yeah, so, you know, look us up at uh, soldaderacoffee.com. Um, or, you know, look for us on, you know, Facebook or Instagram, soldadera. That's S-O-L-D-A-D-E-R-A, -E and then just coffee. And then, uh, you know, we're excited for next uh, next month or our big release. You know, we'll have subscriptions going on for our, our limited release that we're doing for this launch or launch and then we'll be you know putting out uh and expanding all over midwest east coast and west coast and tommy I, you know i'm glad that i got to sit down here and talk to you you know it's a great conversation uh i love the topics um definitely got to connect with you and, and you know it seems like there's a, a lot of good uh similarities and you know Maybe one day we can sit down and, you know, have some coffee and then some cigars as well. And I can bring some of my coffee. <laughs> done and done. Um, Mario, it was a pleasure to hang out with you today. I will put the link for your website in the show notes. You guys can click on it there and check out their coffee. And I just want to thank you, uh, Mario, for taking the time to be on the show today. And I also want to thank all of the podcast listeners um, thank you guys so much. Um, we're going to be releasing a ton of episodes here this week. And so, uh, please keep looking for those and we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care, Mario. Uh, thank you, Tommy.